This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the new version of Radio Parallax, which is being, for the first time, outsourced. Well, at least the editing department, which is currently being conducted in the Caribbean. Are we doing this to save labor costs? No, we are not. Is this some method of moving money offshore? Well, no, it is certainly not that. No, the reason this show may have a little bit of a different sound to it is that it's being recorded in Northern California and then edited on the island of St. Kitts. Or is it Antigua? Or is it Guadalupe? I'm not quite sure, but we think it might be St. Kitts. This is because Mr. McMillan is down in the Caribbean on assignment, which I'm sure he'll be happy to tell you about when he returns stateside two weeks from now. And if all goes well, this correspondent may go down there to join him in the Windward Islands and perhaps on the way home stop through the Dominican Republic to see what I can see in the way of whale watching. Yes, there's apparently quite an assemblage of humpback whales from the Atlantic Ocean that uh, like to come down near the coast of the Dominican Republic to spawn and cavort and uh, hopefully entertain the tourists. I do hope to have much more to report on that topic a couple weeks from now. But let us begin today's program as we like to do with On This Date in History, the date in question being the 9th of January. And I would like to apologize a bit for my rather froggy voice. This is due in no small part to um, the current lack of rain we are having in the Northern California region. The last measurable rain apparently was December Seventh, at which point 0.03 inches of precipitation fell. We will have more to say about uh, our drought situation later in the program, but I think that uh, the increase in dust levels are why my allergies are acting up. But uh, I shall do what I can here after taking a snoot full of, uh, of nasal steroids. And by the way, if you anticipate... Um, Dusting in the house, knowing that in the last couple days that dusting you've been doing is causing allergies to kick in, don't go with the $1 masks they sell in the hardware stores. I'm pretty sure if I'd spent for the $4 masks they sell in the stores yesterday, I wouldn't be in the pickle I am today, voice-wise and nasal-wise. But that's more detail than you wanted. Let's proceed with on this date in history. It was on January 9th in 1493 whereupon thinking he has found mermaids in the New World, Italian explorer Christopher Columbus described manatees as being, quote, not half as beautiful as they are painted, unquote. Yeah, it turns out Captain Columbus had, uh, had quite a few misconceptions along the way, which is why you can this very day go gamble at an Indian casino. Until the day he died, Columbus was convinced that the native population down in the Caribbean were, in fact, Indians living on offshore islands. At any rate, it was on January 9th in 1570 that the Russian Tsar Ivan the Terrible slaughtered more than 3,000 people in Novgorod 
to teach them loyalty. You know, I think nothing inspires loyalty quite so much as, you know, the mass slaughtering of populations. Here's an odd one. On January 9th, in 1768, in London, Philip Astley staged the first modern circus. Trick riders, acrobats, clowns, trained animals, and other such acts weren't new, but they'd never been organized before in the form of a circus. So now you know the rest of the story. January 9th, 1959, the Western television series Rawhide premiered. This gave a start to young Clint Eastwood, a show about cattle driving cowboys. It was one of 30 Westerns on TV at the time, and it aired during the 1959-1960 television seasons. And I got to tell you, it does give me pause to contemplate the fact that, at that time, it was my favorite TV show. Yes, I was negative 14 at the time, which is why today, of course, I remain 39. And finally, in one of the most flagrant violations in, hi- in history, I would say, of, of the rule that if it's not broken, you shouldn't try to fix it, on January 9th in 1960, construction began on the Aswan High Dam on the Nile River in southern Egypt. Apparently the U.S. was initially uh, tagged to help, supposedly help the Egyptians build a dam that would, for the first time, stop the Nile from flooding, as it was wont to do every year. And in doing so, of course, fertilized the banks of the Nile, making uh, Egypt uh, the granary of the Mediterranean. So despite a track record of 5,000 straight years of success with this system, uh, the replenishing of the soil and higher production of grain, etc., Egypt decided to change it. And in 1971, it was opened after being built with Soviet aid. Apparently during the 60s, we got mad at Nasser. And, uh, and uh, well, I guess the nicest thing you can say about this horrible eco-catastrophe was that at least it wasn't funded by the U.S. taxpayer. Instead of using the silt that uh, would replenish the banks every year to help fertilize the crops, Egypt now has to rely upon other sources of fertilizer, which it can ill afford. Of course, when it comes to water fiascos, California is no slouch, and we're going to have more to say about that a little bit later. All right, our quote of the day comes from Winston Churchill, as it has more than once. Said Churchill at one point, The best argument against democracy is a five-minute conversation with the average voter. Our quip of the day comes from comic Billy Connolly, who once described an intellectual as someone who can listen to Rossini's William Tell Overture without thinking of the Lone Ranger. Our bonus quote slash quip of the day comes from the late speechwriter slash alleged pundit William Sapphire who said, never use a long word when a diminutive one will do. Sound advice if we've ever heard it. Our joke of the day comes from the great Henny Youngman, and it wouldn't be the first time. Said Henny, I said to my wife, where do you want to go for our anniversary? She said to me, somewhere I'd never been before. I said to her, try the kitchen. Our stat of the day comes from Monmouth University, who noted that an overwhelming 72% of U.S. citizens oppose the use of drones to monitor motorists and to issue 
speeding tickets. Good God, I should hope so. All right, let's see if we can't move into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, from whom we generally get these items, it was a good week this week for reading fiction. Psychologists at the New School for Social Research in New York City asked people between 18 and 75 to read an excerpt of literary fiction or popular fiction or a nonfiction article. They then tested their ability to gauge the emotions of people by looking at pictures of their faces. The subjects who read literary works scored much higher on the test than the other readers. Study author Emmanuel Castano says it's likely because literary fiction takes readers into others' lives and forces them to reconstruct the mind of the character, an ability that carries over into real social situations. Could be. We'll have to ask our, uh, our good pal, Dr. Andy Jones, what he thinks about uh, that finding. It was, on the other hand, a bad week last week for spending time indoors with the news that it can apparently weaken our vision. A study at the Australian National University found that 42% of people in the U.S. between the ages of 12 and 54 have nearsightedness. That's compared with 25% 40 years ago. Here's something that's quite curious about this. The rates of this condition seem to be rising only among urban kids as opposed to rural children who spend more time outdoors. Myopia previously was thought to be largely hereditary but it's been noted that the gene pool cannot change so much in just a single generation. Researchers believe that too much time looking at books and computer screens without looking further away is damaging vision. Uh, I'd be willing to bet that computer screens are the key since 40 years ago people were reading books and their rate of nearsightedness was just 25% versus 42% now. Holy mackerel. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for... The whole concept of being a sportsman with the news that a British fisherman was arrested after stealing a sea bass from an aquarium to win a fishing competition. It turns out that Matthew Clark, age 29, did win a trophy and $1,300 in prize money for the 13-pound bass. But rival anglers quickly recognized the bass's distinctive markings from a local aquarium and reported him to police. Bass reportedly confessed and said he sold the prize winner to a fishmonger. A spokesman for the aquarium said, all we got back was the head and the tail. No word on whether he had to give back the prize money. I, I, I hope the Brits throw the book at this jerk. All right, well, before we go talking more about some of the usual antics of uh, local political figures and movements, in particular things that are on the agenda for 2014, I think we should take a look back. At the year that just passed, 2013, there's no one we'd like to do that more. In that regard, there's no one we'd like to quote more than our good, almost pal, Dave Barry. Many years ago, we were able to have a chat with Dave Barry in conjunction with this program, but alas, we've never had him on. That's a good goal for this coming year. But at any rate, looking back at 2013, Dave Barry had a few things to say, and we are keen to quote from them. Known to Dave Barry, referring to 2013, this year was so bad that twerking 
wasn't even the stupidest dance craze. That would be the Harlem Shake, which is not so much a dance as a mass nervous system disorder, and which makes the Gognum-style dance we mocked in 2012 look like Swan Lake. We miss 2012. The Obama administration pivoted back to the economy, which has now been recovering for years without actually getting any better. Were there any new trends in 2013? Yes, but they were not good. Kale, for example. Suddenly this year, restaurants started putting kale into everything, despite the fact that it is an unappetizing form of plant life that until recently was used primarily for insulation. Did anything good happen in 2013? Yes. There was one shining ray of hope in the person of Toronto Mayor Rob Ford, who admitted that while in office he smoked crack cocaine, but noted by way of explanation that this happened, quote, probably in one of my drunken stupors, unquote. This was probably the most honest statement emitted by any elected official this year. But uh, before we look ahead to next year, let's take one look back at the fiasco that was 2013, starting with January. January began with a crisis in Washington, a city that despite having no industries and a workforce consisting almost entirely of former student council presidents, manages to produce 93% of the nation's crises. This particular crisis is a fiscal cliff, caused by the fact that for years the government has been spending spectacular quantities of money, which it does not have, which has resulted in a mess that nobody could possibly have foreseen unless that person had a higher level of financial awareness than, say, a cucumber. Abroad, and this actually happened, Iran announced that the Iranian space agency had sent a monkey into space aboard the Pishgam rocket and returned it safely to Earth. Intelligence experts fear that the Iranians are developing a much larger, more powerful monkey that could be used to rampage around Tel Aviv knocking down buildings. And in a shocking interview, Lance Armstrong, after years of denial, admits to Oprah Winfrey that he took illegal drugs in all seven of his Tour de France victories, as well as using a motorcycle for certain stages of the race, and, quote, occasionally, unquote, shooting opponents with poison-tipped darts. Also, he played, quote, a small role, unquote, in the JFK assassination. Moving on to February, Washington, D.C. faces another crisis in the form of the sequester, that will happen automatically unless Congress can agree on a budget, which seems unlikely inasmuch as Congress cannot agree on what planet this is. If the sequester goes into effect, federal spending will continue to rise, but not quite as fast as it would have without the sequester. Panic grips the city as grim-faced former student council presidents write talking points far into the night. In transportation news, American Airlines and U.S. Airways announced plans to merge into one huge company that will be, according to the official announcement, quote, the most bankrupt airline in the world, unquote. March, as the federal budget deadline passes without Congress reaching agreement, the devastating, draconian, historically catastrophic sequester goes into place. This causes a mild reduction in the rate of increase in government spending that, for some inexplicable reason, goes unnoticed by pretty much everybody outside the federal government. April. Tensions on the Korean Peninsula mount still further as South Korea is awakened at 3 a.m. to discover that its northern border is blocked by a burning bag of dog excrement the size of a soccer stadium. North Korea denies any involvement, but the U.N. Security Council goes in an emergency session, after which Secretary General Ban Ki-moon announces that he wants to have his name legally changed. 
At home, the horrific Boston Marathon bombing demonstrates yet again the vital service provided by the powerful information-gathering resource that is the journalism-slash-Twitter complex, which, faced with a wildly chaotic, confusing situation, is somehow able within mere minutes to get pretty much everything wrong. May, New York City. Anthony Weiner announces his intention to enter... Well, let's rephrase that. Weiner announces he plans to run for mayor using the campaign slogan, Weiner. You know where he stands. His announcement sets off joyous celebration among headline writers for the New York Post. In sports, the Kentucky Derby is won by a Harley Davidson, ridden by Lance Armstrong. June. In legal affairs, the Supreme Court overturns the Defense of Marriage Act, eliciting high praise from many politicians who enacted the Defense of Marriage Act. In sports, organizers of the Tour de France announced that this year they're going to skip the bicycle riding part and instead just gather all the competitors in a room and see who can do the most drugs. July. The beleaguered city of Detroit, having run out of all other financial options, formally applies to become a province of Canada. All right, let's skip August and go to September, said Dave Barry. Dennis Rodman travels to North Korea for a loon-to-loon meeting with Supreme Leader Kim Jong-un who presents the former NBA star with a commemorative set of 50 political prisoners. As the month draws to a close, Washington again lurches into crisis mode as Congress is unable to agree on a budget, which means that at midnight on the 1st of October, the federal government, in an unthinkable development, partially shuts down. The result is a catastrophe of near-sequester proportions. By day 17, the situation has become so dire that Congress, resorting to desperate measures, decides to actually do something. It passes, and the president signs a law raising the debt ceiling, thereby ensuring the federal government could continue spending spectacular quantities of money it does not have until the next major, totally unforeseen government financial crisis, which was scheduled for February of 2014. Things do not go nearly as smoothly with the rollout of Obamacare, which turns out to have a lot of problems despite being conceived of by super smart people with extensive experience in the field of being former student council presidents. In an aviation landmark, a Delta Airlines flight from Atlanta to Los Angeles becomes the first plane to fly under new FAA rules, allowing expanded passenger use of electronic gadgets, landing safely and uneventfully in Moscow. In foreign affairs, the German government angrily accuses the U.S. of spying after German Chancellor Angela Merkel's mobile telephone conversations are repeatedly interrupted by someone with an American accent asking her to please speak English. In November, Iran accepts an arms limitation agreement under which it may continue making enriched uranium, but must promise that it will use those only in science fairs. In other international news, the U.N. sends peacekeeping troops to Manhattan in an effort to quell Alex Baldwin. And finally, for December 2013, the month we've just left, Dave Barry notes that in other retail news, Jeff Bezos reveals that Amazon is experimenting with a system that would deliver parcels weighing up to five pounds via drones. Heavier packages would be delivered via surplus World War II howitzers. Meanwhile, Toronto Mayor Rob Ford, in a move that does raise eyebrows, officiates at a ribbon-cutting ceremony for a meth lab. As the year draws to a close, hopes for peace in the Korean peninsula soar when North Korea's Kim Jong-un, in what is seen as a conciliatory gesture, sends a gift to South Korean President Park Geun-hye. Unfortunately, the gift, a set of professional barbells, weighed nearly a ton, and it was delivered via Amazon's new Noitzer system, and it levels the presidential palace. 
And on that note, Dave Barry said he's going to stagger off into oblivion, making way for 2014, which he says surely will be better, because how could it be worse? To which he adds, don't answer that. That piece was evidently produced for a combination of the McClatchy organization and the Miami Tribune. And of course, since we're big fans of McClatchy, we, we thought we would borrow excerpts from it, which were done for review purposes, of course. And I think it'd be a good time to take a short break. So let's do that. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm your host, Douglas Everett. History is of ages past, unenlightened shadows cast. Down through all eternity, the crying of humanity. Tis then when the hurdy gurdy man comes singing songs of love. Then when the hurdy gurdy man comes singing songs of love. Hurdy gurdy 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 gurdy. 